Hold on. Yes, sneeze along with Jim. Hello, this is Greg, host of Super NES Podcast, and you're listening to the Pie Factory Podcast, which really should be called the Cement Factory Podcast, as Nintendo says that level in Donkey Kong is really Cement Factory, but who am I telling these guys how to run their podcast? Joliet Junior College, where tomorrow's past is yesterday's future. <laughs> Stop talking about UCLA. <laughs> Harvard on Hubal. <laughs> yep. Juco University Tech. closest to Larkin Avenue. Actually, that's not the case. It, like, no, not anymore because uh, St. Francis, Saint Francis where I is went, no longer college. Has been a university since 1997. Mm-hmm. Everywhere there is a UCLA. Like when I lived in Jersey, UCLA was university closest to Lincroft area, which would be Brookdale Community College, which is in Lincroft. You can't get much closer to Lincroft area than Lincroft. University of Chicago. Lower Armitage, I guess. I don't know. Or as yeah, they said lower. on that TV movie, Armitage. Armitage. Yeah, I'll never forgive. Uh, I want to see that. You got to tell what's what's that that TV thing again? It was some That's kind see, of tornado. It was about movie? a tornado that hit Chicago. Um, I believe it's called Category Six Day of Destruction. I'd read something about that, and apparently that that actress it was either the actress or the character Nancy was mispronouncing. McKeon. She was mispronouncing a lot of Chicago stuff. Yeah, it was Nancy McKeon, uh, Joe from. Uh, Facts of Life. Oh, okay. Never yeah, watched it. She's the one who said Armitage. I'm like, <laughs> so I suppose we should get uh, going with the show. So, oh, oh, we're doing a show now. Uh, I, I guess. I mean, is that what this is called? I mean, we well, we haven't put one out in a while, so we might as well. We're doing a podcast and have nothing to show for it. Or <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh, I drive cars for a living and have nothing to show for it. <laughs> And I know at this point that's where Hyde's gonna put in the crickets. Come on, Hyde, throw me yeah. a bowl for once. Give me, give me a, a good sound effect. Something other than crickets. Come on, because that was a good, that was a good pun, right? Well, good pun is contradictory, I guess. But that was a decent pun. You know, that's contradictory too. That was a pun. So give me something. Um, I, I don't care what it is. Just don't give me the crickets. You, hey, here you go. Just give me the, give me a sound from The Price Is Right. Any sound. I don't care what it is. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Pie Factory Podcast. And once again, um, you know what? You keep changing names every episode. Uh, I think this episode, I'm going to change my name. Uh, I'm not Jimmy G today. Today I'm going to just be Jimbo. So uh, once again from Morris, Illinois, this is Jimbo. And um, for the very last time until the next episode from Chicago... High Factory Headquarters North. Um, I totally forgot to come up with a name, so um, I'm no... I, well, if you're from Chicago, why don't you adopt Peter Cetera? Because I'm not from Chicago. I'm not mm. from here. But you're f- you're you're recording from Chicago. I, oh, yeah, that's true. I am recording from, from here. And actually, I don't like the Peter Cetera Chicago. I like the Bob Lamb, Terry Kath Chicago. Well, why don't you be one of them? Or be both. Bob Lamb, Terry Kath. I don't want to be Terry Kath because he said what something once. Uh, he said, don't worry, it's not loaded. And uh, it turned out it was loaded. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. Be Terry Kath then. No, I'm sorry. No. Bob Lamb. I'll be Bob Lamb. Be Bob Lamb. Yeah. Lamb on the run. So, so yes, again, it's Jimbo and Bob Lamb. <laughs> That's right. Man. We, if we haven't totally confused our listeners by now, we haven't done our job. 
My, my family calls me Sean, though. I don't know where the hell they get that one from. It's like, but but Dad, I'm just Bob because Blair. it was written on your damn birth certificate. They people think they could call oh, you Sean. Christ. Oh, you're, you're I mean, what's that the deal with that? crap again? Jeez, what's the deal? So, um, how have you been? Um, kind of, kind of worn out. Uh, something I noticed in the last episode, possibly the last two or three episodes, we didn't talk about stuff we've been playing. And I think I have a good reason for that. I really haven't been playing much other than the games that we're talking about simply because I just mm-hmm. haven't had time. When I did have time, I was just not in the mood. You know, I'm just kind of worn out. Yeah. I, you know what? I've kind of been the same way, too. I mean, part of it, I think, is just getting older. And part of it is oh, when please. you get home <laughs> get home from work, you just, just don't feel like doing anything. And um, I have been playing uh, tonight's games uh, at Infinitum. And oh, yeah. for the second week in a row... I've made notes, but this time I actually use real big sheet of paper, and it's not. I'm not sweaty, so that the paper falls apart when I touch it. I can, I actually have it in a notebook. I, for one, am proud of you. I, I and <laughs> it's mass hysteria. Dogs and cats living together, and um, the less said about the that, the better. Right now, but um. Yeah. Okay, to be honest with you, I I did play a few things. After our episode last week, I had to go back and play the, play Frenzy on the 7800. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying so hard to get to the screen with the tape deck on it so I could see if it says the uh, where is the humanoid thing, but I could never get it on the, on the 7800 version. Hmm. And of course, you can't cheat on it as far as right. I know, unless there's an Easter egg. So, And of course, I'm still playing Mr. Do in MAME because well, I'm hooked on it. And ever since I watched a video of someone playing it in uh, on uh, Twin Galaxies, mm-hmm. I've been trying to duplicate that. I, I don't know how this guy did. I mean, I watched it. I saw what he was doing. It's like, how do you know? I really, really like that game a lot. There's just so many ways to complete the level to defeat oh, yeah. the enemies chasing you, but they're still come at you relentlessly, and you can't rely on your Powerball very often, no. especially since the chance of you winning any money from uh, selecting the Powerball is really slim. So, yeah, it's just an overall fun game. And, uh, of course, we did talk about it um, <laughs> with uh, with our other favorite game, Tinkle Pit, several episodes back. And uh, we still haven't made that Tinkle Pit a household name yet, have we? Well, we're still uh, recording, so obviously... We haven't. I I, I yeah. figured that's that's when uh, that's when it's time we can when we can safely hang it hang it up and put Pie Factory Podcast to bed is when Tinkle Pit is finally a household name. I actually got my wife to using that as a synonym for other things. Nice. But it would be nice if we could find out what a Tinkle Pit marquee looked like. And anybody who opens up an arcade has to have at least one arcade in the country. We're demanding one arcade in the country to have their bathrooms nicknamed the Tinkle Pit. Exactly, yeah. And and you, you can go ahead and do the cliche thing that I've seen in more than one arcade where you have Pac-Man to designate the men's room, Ms. Pac-Man to dedicate the mm-hmm. ladies' room. That's fine, you know, it's been done, but it's fine. But come on, put a sign above it that says Tinkle Pit. Yeah, no kidding. His, hers, gentlemen's, ladies, you know, guys, girls, boys, girls... Uh, in Scotland, it's really confusing as to which bathroom you should use. But, um, yeah, I mean, heck, I remember there was a pizza chain around here. They called them the Necessary Room. Actually, uh, that pizza chain is still around. It's Happy Joe's. The closest one is over in, gosh, that furniture store that used to advertise on WGN Radio all the time. Goods Furniture in, 
It's way west. It's west of LaSalle, Peru here in Illinois. Whoa. That's pretty freaking west. Yeah. But it's within an hour and a half drive of where I live. And um, last time we visited one, we were camping up northwestern Illinois up in the Mississippi Palisades Galena area. And there were several of them over there. And I'll tell you what, if you ever find a Happy Joe's, they're kind of like Dubuque is like the middle of all of them there, Dubuque, Iowa. If you ever get to one, stop in and get their taco pizza. Oh, it's the best taco pizza you'll ever have. It's seriously pretty good stuff. The taco pizza at Casey's General Store gas stations, which are everywhere in small town Uh. Midwest, even here in Morris, they have taco pizza that's close, but not the same. Yeah, I'm not going to be touching anything that's called pizza. It's it's at a gas station. That's just no. Casey's General Store has breakfast pizza, and it's the most amazing thing you'll ever have. Seriously, it's some good stuff. They have good iced tea, too, and I'm a huge iced tea fanatic, as people who listen to the show for any length of time can attest. And in fact, I'm drinking some right now. Oh, I'm drinking some uh, Liney's Cranberry Ginger Shandy right now. Paul, do we have any uh, refreshing beverage music? <laughs> I'm sorry, not today. We don't have any, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I remember, <laughs> man, David Letterman, man, I, I used to love that show. There was the, um, I believe there's not a man, woman, or child alive that doesn't enjoy a lovely beverage. And he's right. Yeah, everybody enjoys a lovely beverage. So, at any rate, I think with that, um, one thing I did want to mention, yeah, don't spend out a lot of time in the sun, a lot of time out in the sun if, without any sort of uh, sunscreen on. Because you will burn. Oh, and this yeah. weekend, we learned that the hard way, uh, more so my family than me. Uh, we are out all weekend in DeKalb, Illinois, for the 35th annual Bike MS uh, ride. Uh, it's a two day event in DeKalb, Illinois. People raise money for research into multiple sclerosis. They uh, have this big event where, uh, you know, people, it's, it's not a, a pledge by mile thing, it's a uh, registration fee and then you just get whoever to you know however many people to donate minimum 300 donations and uh, i had a good time um i did 75 miles the first day on my bicycle i'm amazed i made the last three miles because i was just so out of energy and then the second day i was originally planning on riding 50 i decided i was going to ride 35 and after riding two miles in i decided yeah i think 15 is going to be more my speed today so for the weekend, I rode my bicycle 90 miles, which, you know, not too shabby. Seriously, I don't know how they are elsewhere because they have a hundred of these sort of events nationwide. I would definitely look into getting into one of them. The one that they have here in Illinois is huge. They had 2,500 bicycle riders Yay. at this thing. It takes off from the Northern Illinois University uh, Convocation Center, and they have like little rest stops along the way, like approximately every 13 miles or so. Some are closer, some are, you know, further. And uh, the whole thing is just like a party. I mean, seriously, I mean, you're raising money for a serious cause, but you're also having a good time. You're uh, having uh, good food along the way, and um, you are uh, hobnobbing with a bunch of people. And um, I didn't get to go to it this year, but they have a, uh, on Saturday, this one has a beer garden with the beer uh, supplied by Goose Island. And uh, Goose Island Brewing, Chicago, Illinois. But they got bought out by somebody recently, I think. Yeah, I think it was uh, that place in Cleveland, wasn't it? I don't recall. Great, Great Lakes. He got brought up, bought up by Great Lakes, I think. It might, yeah, it might be. But um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, 
If you're into riding your bicycle, get involved with one of these things. And it doesn't matter how far you ride or whatever, because they have routes anywhere from a family fun ride all the way up to a, a double metric, which is 125 miles. And I was originally going to do the 100 mile, but A, I didn't feel like it. And B, even if I did, by the time I got to where the 100 mile loop breaks off of the 75, they, uh, they closed that loop due to the wind and heat which uh the uh the temperatures and being out in the sun is what i why i you know brought up my uh, my family uh, we all had sunscreen on some of us covered better than others it just you know, sweat and the stuff falls right off and uh, it's like right around my ankle where my bicycle socks are i mean it's like really really red there but you go a little further up my leg and you'll make me happy but it also i mean you could tell where i put the uh, suntan lotion on and stuff yeah. like that but seriously um it's a good cause and um as soon as I feel like looking at my bicycle after doing all that riding, I'm going to start training for my next endeavor, which is the Lupus Wolf Ride out of Columbia, Illinois. That's Metro St. Louis. I've already raised my minimum and my personal goal, but uh, if anybody wants to you know, throw any more money that way, they can do so. Jeez, I'm doing the, the Great Bicycle Challenge. I st- actually, I'm pretty much done with it because I'm not going to be riding my bike again until uh, probably next week. Mm-hmm. But I only raised a quarter of my goal, and it's like, man, what was why your is goal? It so freaking hard. Five hundred bucks. I raised twenty five percent of that. Well, the goal I set for myself personally for bike MS with was fifteen hundred dollars, and I raised yeah. a fifth of that. So, no. <laughs> that means so. I don't get a jersey because I didn't meet the minimum five hundred. I mean, yeah, it's for a much more important cause. It's to fight right. uh, juvenile cancer. But it's still nice to have, like, a know. little souvenir or something, yeah, too, though. I mean, but, hey, I, the- I originally signed up to do 175 miles for uh, for mm-hmm. June, and I actually went about 220. Is it one of those deals where you can still raise the money and have it go toward your... Uh- Toward your oh, thing, because I know Bike MS does that. I'm sure you could. I'm sure you could. I just don't know that much about it right now. But, uh, but yeah, man, I didn't. I didn't realize that thing you were doing. I didn't realize that uh, Bike MS was two days. Like, yeah, yeah, it's a two day event. They wow. have, and you can uh, you can uh, rent out a, a dorm room at NIU for eighty bucks a night, or you can pitch a tent behind the convocation center for free. Good night, everybody. And since my uh, sister lives just about, <laughs> yes. Um, but since my sister lives about 15 miles north of there, we just stayed up there with her. She was uh, very, very uh, welcoming of us, and uh, we are very, very appreciative to my sister Judy. My glass doesn't clink, but uh, you know, cheers to you. I'm gonna have a swig of iced tea in your name. Ah, so. Um, and of course, the all-important question: While you're in DeKalb, did you get to Star Wars? I did not get a chance. After all that bike riding. I did not get to go to Star Worlds because A, I didn't have the money, and B, I was just so dang tired. I just wanted to get home. Wait, you didn't want to stand up bed. and play games for a couple hours? Yeah, no, that wasn't happening. I don't think my legs worked for like two hours after but I yeah, completed that's, that's really that Saturday. Two thousand people on bikes—that's almost half as much as the Lakefront Trail in Chicago has every day. Twenty-five hundred. Wow. Nah. But at any rate, uh, yeah, that's. Uh, that's all of the rambling I have now. Do we have any... Uh, I think... Sh- shall we move on? Shall we move on? Oh, it's your choice. Uh, since I am hosting, why don't we move on? Do we have any addenda, errata, comments, that sort of thing? I do believe we do. They're uh, chief... 
Chief. Um, yeah. Doobie doobie doo. Of course, I didn't. I didn't really make a note of any of it. Uh, there. Oh, one kind of permanent. Well, I hope it's a permanent addendum. We have a new sponsor through Patreon. Oh. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Kool Aid Man. I mean, is his name Paul Paulander or Paulander? I heard Ferg say it before. I, I think thought I it was heard, Paulander. I, yeah, but anyway, yeah, Greg Soul Blazer. Thank you, thank you for. Uh, for your sponsorship, along with uh, Scott Lambert, Rory Coleman, Andy Ryerson, Keith Sheehan, Richard Valdez, Nate Lockhart, and Michael D'Angelo, thank you very much. Now, one thing I want to say: uh, one of our uh, one of our uh, patrons contacted us and said that they had to reduce their monthly uh, gift to us because they had some stuff coming up, and they apologized for it. You know what? If you have don't to do need it, to but apologize. don't Jeez. don't apologize. Yeah, it's I mean, fine. As uh, as Phil says, you got to keep first things first. You know, don't yeah. don't apologize. Um, I mean. You know, just uh, just go ahead, and uh, we we totally understand. Uh, however, if you're uh, going to stop, uh, you know, patronizing us, patronizing, patronizing, whatever, uh, because you think we suck, in that case, please do send us an email telling us that we suck, because we don't really yes. get that, which which is unfortunate. We want an yeah, email or a comment that says we suck, and we just mm. don't get those. Yeah, we're people just say we've got a good podcast. What the hell's up with that? I don't know. I don't know. Hey, I I totally understand. I mean. My wife is a teacher, so every summer we live for two months on a single income, which isn't really easy. Even after we put a big chunk of money in savings, we go through it pretty quickly. So, so I totally understand. Summer, you can't really give what you would like to give. I mean, yeah, hey, whatever. You know, if you can't give anything, hey, whatever. That's fine. You know, we yeah, do this. I mean, we, you know, we do this as a service to you. It's from us to you, and we do hope to offset some. Uh, costs of course but you know and uh it has come in i mean it has come in handy for a few things and uh we do appreciate that so yes thank you all of you and oh there's one more thing i do i do want to i've been meaning to say this for several episodes i finally remembered yeah excuse me uh unusable burp so uh sorry no burp outtake tonight no speaking of uh being married to a teacher and stuff uh, uh a former student of my wife is uh trying to uh, kind of get a used video game business uh, kind of off the ground. Um, and uh, so she asked if I could, uh, she said, hey, anybody you can reach out to? Hint, hint. <laughs> you know? So um, uh, his name's Hector. He, I believe he's out of college now by this time too. But, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, he's, he's trying to get his buy and sell video games uh, thing off the ground. I think he also does like vintage toys or something too, but I think his primary thing is video games. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the email is unknowndude07 at gmail.com. The business card simply says we buy games. Um, I'll put that on the, uh, I'll, I'll scan it in and put it in the show notes. With all of that, we do have some comments. Uh, first of all, from Atari Age. First of all, uh, yes, we do realize that when we originally uploaded the uh, last episode that the Addenda and Errata theme, the much-beloved Addenda and Errata theme, was missing. Uh, actually, when I, you know what, I preview these things before they go out, and I didn't catch it. Uh, so part of that's on me, but uh, other people Well, to be fair, catch- when you hear it, that's before all the music is added in. Yeah, well, that is true, so it is Hyde's fault. Um, yeah, thanks, Hyde. Yeah, thanks, Hyde. He's trying to make us look bad. But then again, he doesn't really have to try that hard. That's that's uh, true. But uh, so a few people caught the uh, caught it, and uh, actually, I actually listen to I listen to every show after we get it up on Stitcher, or, you know, on the uh, RSS feed, just to make sure everything sounds okay to give it to give it a listen to. Plus, I do love listening to my own 
voice. Yeah, and I got a, I got a text from you at work. I'm like, oh crap, what went wrong? Because <laughs> I, I never hear from you while I am at work. Yeah, I, yeah, I, it's I, like, I oh god, what happened? So everyone, yeah, we we had that fixed like not too long after. So yeah, it was like later in the night. So you know, those of you who, those of you who don't know what we're talking about, that means that you downloaded it uh, later. Well. I do have to say, uh, we do have a couple of comments on Atari H. Uh, Chris Plus Plus, um, you know, first of all, in a, in response to the forgetting of the Adenda and Arata, and here I was going to praise the John Cage-inspired version of Love Theme from Adenda and Arata. I see what he did there. Anyway, in case you guys don't get time to read the article, understandable. Uh, by the way, he does have the classic gaming book cast. He's also got his website, orphanedgames.com slash articles. So actually, he's got some articles there, which uh, the Classic Gaming Bookcast, I would say, is a companion piece to the website and vice versa. But um, he's saying, anyway, in case you guys don't get time to read the article, and in case anyone cares to hear about a frenzy fanatic's concern with minutia, it always looks like minuitae to me. That's how I pronounced it. But if it's minutia, I'll pronounce it minutia. Um, Concern with minutia, unlikely. The reason the ColecoVision version is better than the CoinOp, according to me, is that you can disable the arm... Automated robot maker? Question mark. By shooting it, thus rendering it incapable of creating further enemies. The arcade arm, on the other hand, is indestructible. And I did notice that. You, um, I do believe if you shoot the uh, the arm computer in the arcade, it will stop the animation, but it still creates robots. Uh, but he is correct that on the ColecoVision version, that if you shoot that, it will stop making robots. Uh, I'm not sure if that's across all four difficulty levels on the the ColecoVision, um, since I have not played those in a while. I've really got to get my ColecoVision fixed, my Adam, so I can play some of those games, but I've got my Raspberry Pi for now, so let's see. The arcade arm, on the other hand, is indestructible. Also, of course, the ColecoVision version isn't ludicrously difficult, which, again, depend. I guess it would depend on the difficulty version, um, but, uh, yeah, but Frenzy in the arcade is pretty doggone difficult. So, uh, there you are. While we're talking about Chris Plus Plus, it might help to, and I feel bad for not mentioning this before, but uh, he's, got his, he's got a podcast now. Yes. Um, what was, uh, what, it's the... It's, it's something to do with the Astrocade. Which actually ties into tonight's, uh, tonight's uh, show, uh, Yes, it does. Yes, it does. So, um, we'll be, you'll all be looking for that, I know, because we know just how much you love this show. The Bally Alley Astrocast. That's it. Link in the show notes. Uh, a few tweets. Um, Vert Vic from Ten Pence Arcade, which in their Vert most Vic current, Viper. Vert Vic Viper uh, at Ten Pence Arcade. Vert Vicu. Uh, <laughs> he uh, tweeted us and saying, "Frenzy better than Berserk? Nope." Well, Vert Vic Viper, I was wrong once too. So that's all I'll say about that. Um, then Sean Hull Holly, he just retweeted our show. And that's uh, something else. And, uh, oh, I have a relative that crashed their car on the Segbomb Expressway in Nigeria. How about that? And um, so there we are. That's um, the tweets. And um, they did, uh, Ten Pence Arcade did talk, mention us in the uh, in their most current episode, which was about uh, Pac-Mania. No, they've, they put one out since. Oh, did they? Yeah, just yesterday. Oh, I'll, I'll have to listen, but... In the Pac-Mania episode, they mentioned us in relation to the Beavis and Butthead uh, arcade game, and they agreed with my assessment on the fact that Mr. Smithers and Mr. Burns are 
horrible bosses for the Simpsons game because it just did not fit those characters' character, so oh, yeah. to speak. Which, they, they're like, yeah, I could see their point. They didn't mention me specifically. They mentioned our show, so... Yeah, I don't yeah, know if I should. new episode actually is 13, it just came out 13 hours ago, and it is about Circus Charlie, a game that I oh. can honestly say I don't really like very much. I like it. I think I'm the only one. Yeah, it, it takes it takes some getting used to, but once you get some of the timing down, but um, we could we could talk about it at that at a later time. So um, I believe that's all the addenda and errata and user feedback I have. Uh, what have you, or is that pretty much it? Um, da, 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 I think actually, I think we heard something from Soul Blazer about uh, Roadrunner, did we not? Uh, yes, we did, but I thought that was in a private Facebook message. Should we be talking about our private Facebook messages? We won't talk about that then. So instead, uh, let's talk about this other um, anonymous message I got. So this may be old news, but Roadrunner got posted. I think this person meant to say ported. To more systems than, I think he meant than, you think, including the Atari ST. And he has a link to uh, one of those Let's Compare videos where they show uh, gameplay from as many different versions as uh, they can. So, And I did watch that, um, I believe, right after, uh, like right after we recorded that. Well, not right after, but a day or so after we recorded that episode. And um, I didn't realize uh, how many systems that it did get uh, ported to, but for the most part, it was when it comes to classic systems, it was only ported to the 2600, and uh, I guess you consider the NES a classic system these days, along with the like the Atari ST. But it was on other computers than that, and um, I had the Atari ST version. I believe I did say that in the episode, and I I've always kind of I've always had a soft spot for that game just because it's just as I said in the episode, Roadrunner captures the uh, the the spirit of the of the cartoons quite nicely. Oh, I do believe so. As I take another drink of my refreshing beverage. <clears throat> so, um, I believe that is all we have. Uh, is that it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, something I should have mentioned before, and I feel bad for not mentioning it. What do we talk about practically every episode? Either Galloping Ghost, Underground Retrocade, or both. Um, mm-hmm. Something that's happened during the summer since Chicago didn't get the Olympics. Underground Retrocade during the summer, which is about... 30 miles outside of Chicago is unveiling a new game every Wednesday night, uh, similar oh. to what galloping ghost does every Monday night, except they're doing it forever. Um, underground retrocades only doing a weekly unveiling, uh, Wednesday night, as far as I know. So, uh, I, I believe was it today. Yeah, it was today there. They unveiled at jungle King. Oh, jungle King, not jungle, jungle Hunt. King. Not Jungle Hunt. Well, actually, the the post said Jungle Hunt, but the pictures, and I know that the pictures are from the Retrocade. They're not like stock pictures or anything, because I recognize the little lounge area. I know that the marquee in the picture said Jungle King. And I got to be honest, I've never seen a Jungle Hunt machine. I've only seen Jungle King. You've only seen the one with the Tarzan. Yeah, yeah. yeah honestly, the, uh, I've, I've never seen a Jungle Hunt until... I've gone to, uh, I believe, uh, Galloping Ghost has it. I've only ever seen the Jungle King. I think they have Jungle King, don't they? I don't, I don't remember. I know I played it last time. You might be right. Oh, if only there's, an, if there's some kind of website where I could look it up. I have to, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say I have to check that. I'm not going to say it. Don't worry. I'm checking it right now. Let's see. Jungle King, 12 locations have it. Yep, Galloping Ghost has it. Okay. 
And so does Star Worlds that you know because you were just in... Uh, oh, that's right. You didn't go to Star World. Yes, I did not go to Star Worlds. I do want to get up there one of these days. We'll, we'll find a time. So with that, um, I think we shall close the door, so to speak, on another, another rollicking edition of Addenda and Errata. So with that, I think we should probably talk about some games. And these are kind of a little more obscure games we're talking about tonight. Obscure, but I've found that there's some pretty freaking interesting history going on here, though. Yeah, in uh, especially in uh, the, I guess, the first game we're going to talk about tonight, which oh. is Robbie Roto, or as it says on the marquee, The Adventures of Robbie Roto. Because, exclamation yes, point. Exclamation point. Because this and is the, a title very, very... Screen, the title screen says Roto to the Rescue! Exclamation point. It does. I have heard this game just being referred to as Roto as well, which yeah, is uh, kind yeah, of weird. Yeah, me too. It's, like, it's the game with the identity crisis, so it fits in with me perfectly. Oh, exactly. And um, what were you were uh, Terry Kath tonight, I believe. No, no. no you are John no, Lamb. I'm, John I'm, Lamb. I'm John Lamb. Bob Kath, Lamb. Uh, yes, John Lamb. Bo- Bob Lamb. Bob Lamb. Bob, Bob. Lamb. So, yes, Bob. Uh, so, Bob, as far as Robbie Roto goes... You have a little red circular guy. Kind of looks like a red Pac-Man with eyes. He's got a little yellow helmet and a couple of arms. And you're digging through a maze underground. And the object is to bring the hostages uh, to the surface. And um, how you do that is you pilot through the maze with your four-way joystick. Uh, first thing you need to do... Well, you don't have to do it first. But to get them out, you have to grab the key before you can exit with the hostages. Now, it doesn't actually does not matter which order in which you get the key or the hostages, but you can't rescue them without the key. The key opens a door at the top of the maze to where you can pull out the... Um, uh, Rutabaga? I was going to say sausages, but that would be adult. Um, where you can pull out the, uh, the hostages um, out to the top of the screen. Now, there are bonus items throughout the maze which you can uh, pick up. And, of course, there are enemies. There are three different kinds of enemies in this game. First of all, you have the sinister spiders. Ooh, Ooh. that sounds scary. Then you have a dragon whose name is Voltar. Voltar. And if he uh, gets into the maze, he turns into a troll. And then you have teeth that chase you. Teeth. Just teeth. Just teeth. Not Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. Just teeth. Now, to avoid the enemies, you do have magic that you can use, and it turns you invincible for a short period of time. Now, if you do have the magic activated and you touch the teeth, it will take the teeth out of the maze. Uh, They will come back, but uh, I believe that's kind of like... uh, I believe that kind of works like the pterodactyl and joust, like if you're taking too long to complete the the uh, the current screen that it will send that out just to help you speed things along a little now the uh, all of the enemies can go through any parts of the maze that you haven't uncovered i don't have all of the scoring here i do know that for each section of dirt that you dig up because even though it's a maze and you don't have free reign to dig wherever you want you still are digging in dirt kind of like mr do and dig dug but it's a set maze that you have yeah, it's something like every two small chunks of uh, dirt that you remove you get one point mm-hmm. something like that and the scoring in the game is really bizarre and convoluted like like there's a whole page of like I, somewhere on the web there's a whole page of how the scoring works mm-hmm. i mean it's it's easy to understand it just takes forever to explain 
Yeah, it's basically the, a lot of multiplication depending on what level you are. Well, it, 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 depending on that, but also depending on how many of the uh, hostages you rescue at a time as well. Yeah. Now, every time you pick up a hostage, he travels along behind you. There are only a total of three hostages per maze. If you get one of them out, no additional bonus for the next maze. It's a, it's a one-times bonus, so in essence, nothing. If you get out of the maze with two hostages behind you, uh, you get a double bonus for the next maze. And if you get three... Uh, out with all three of them, you get a three times bonus, which is, uh, if you can do that consistently, this can be a, a fairly high-scoring game fairly fast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which uh, I was playing that a little bit tonight, and uh, my score isn't amazing, but... Uh, oh, but, I see uh, what you did there. Amazing. Uh, uh, yeah. I bet to do that. <laughs> um, not my best Pee Wee Herman, but I've never been able to do that one really good. Um now, interestingly, when you save the hostages, if you don't have all three of them at one time, the enemies in the maze will move from their the position they are in current uh, currently to random parts in the maze. So they'll move around, so you can't just you know base your strategy over where they are when you leave the maze. This is interesting. You get one of the uh, one of the magics, and you activate the magic by pressing the button on the console. You get one magic per maze. However, if you don't use it, it rolls over to the next maze. So that you can eventually have multiple, multiple flashes. I did notice because uh, I, I've been when I've been playing these, I've been playing through them a little bit with the uh, with the cheats on. I have been playing them normal, but I have been playing them with the cheats on just so I can see some of the little things in the game that other people might not see all the time. But uh, the uh, the console or the uh, console the uh, the top of the screen does indicate how many how many magics you have and how many lives as per normal. It only display a total of four magics or four lives at the top of the screen at any given time. You mean you can get more than that? You can get more than that. How? Uh, however, oh, with the cheats enabled, that's how. <laughs> however, even though it only displays four, it will keep track of how many of them that you have. So even though it displays four, you can have five, 20, 30, whatever uh, up at the top of the screen. Um, as far as bonus lives go, you get one bonus life for every three screens that you complete, which is different than most games, which uh, base it on points that you rack up. This is the only game, I think, that we've done so far where you get a bonus life for how many screens that you survive. I don't know of any other game that does that off the top of my head. I'm sure there are some, but uh, this is the only one I know of right now, right away. Game on default settings, start with three Robbie Rotos, and... Um, Hey, I got a question for you while you're seeing. Um, yes, I didn't. I didn't really pay close attention to this, unfortunately. But in the lives indicator, what is? It? Is it re your reserve lives, or is it all your lives, including the one you're currently on? You know what? I did not catch that either. I do notice that it, when you at the end of the the screen, I think when you're while you're playing, it will show you the number that you have in reserve. Those face to the right. When you end the game, you know, by bringing the uh, last miner to safety... Well, end the level. He faces to the left. So I wonder if that's maybe what you're thinking of. You, you know what? That's a good question. Because I have to mention that later on in the episode. One other thing to notice, um, you, as I was mentioning, the enemies, if they touch you, you lose your life. Uh, when you lose your life, the dragon will come down and take you out of the uh, maze. However, if one of the enemies touches one of the hostages that you're pulling along behind you, it will steal the hostage, put him back in his little box in the maze, 
and uh, somewhere, and then you'll have to go back and re-rescue them. Did you notice that the enemies seem to reset themselves when that happens, too? How so? I don't know. It's like, what happens is, after the hostages are basically kidnapped again... Oh, you mean like what happens when you rescue the hostage? Yeah, it's like they almost... I don't. I have to pay closer attention to it next time I play this, but it seems to me that the game pauses while the enemies go back to their starting place, or from some, or they they basically backtrack into somewhere else. And you then might the, be the right continues. on that's, that. That's kind of that's kind of different. That's unusual because that, that's what it does when you successfully save a hostage. I think you might be right on that. Uh, again. You know, I, I didn't pay attention to that. I should have, but uh, that's about all I have in uh, in my notes here for uh, Robbie Roto. Graphically, it's fairly bare bones. Um, it, what it does, it does well. But I think one of the uh, one of the things that really kind of ticks me off about this game is that it's not quite easy to tell where you're supposed to go. Now, the first two mazes, the way that the way that the mazes work, the screen is blue and it's got like black like, I don't know, rock striation or whatever. And where it's solid blue, you can move through. And you and on the first couple screens, it's easy to tell. You can easily tell where to go. Later on, the black striations in the rock, which define the maze, get fewer and fewer to eventually to where it's like just a few dots here and there in the maze that you can't go through. Despite the fact that everything looks like you can go through it, there's still a maze that you've got to uncover. Oh, I hate that. I, I, I hate that a lot because you think you got a good strategy going and you can't go through a spot that it looks like you could clearly go through. And I think that is the one, that is, in my opinion, the biggest drawback to what otherwise is a halfway is a, is a pretty decent game. At every junction, it does give you an arrow pointing which way you can go, but that doesn't help you when you're planning your strategy a couple, you know, a couple steps ahead of the game, so to speak. Yeah, right. And um, that has really kind of killed me you know, more than once. Uh, I didn't notice if the mazes are the same, uh, in, in the same order, uh, every time you play the game. I want to think that they are, but uh, I, again, that's... I uh, think you're right. I think they are, but uh, I have to double check. Uh, not going to say it. But, no, um, you can start saying it again. And when you actually go back and double check everything you said, you're going to double check since we started doing this podcast last April. I'm not going to double check anything at this point because I'm just so pissed about my saying that all the time. But I mean, that's the indistinct nature of the, the maze and the difficulty of telling where you can go in the maze is the really makes this game, I think, a lot harder than it needs to be. Graphically, and when it comes to graphics and audio, there's something about the graphics on this game. They're, they're, they're not amazing graphics for the most part, but I really like them. And the audio on this game, uh, given the hardware platform th- that it's based on, I really love the audio in this game. It's Yeah, it's stereo sound, courtesy of two custom Astrocade sound chips. Yes, and that uh, when we were talking about uh, Chris Plus Plus's podcast earlier, the Bally Astrocast, this game is indeed Bally based- Astrocast. Bally- oh, the Bally Alley Astrocast. This arcade game is actually based on the Bally Astrocade home console. Yeah. Which there's some other games which I'm not going to mention right now because we're going to get to them sometime in the future. <laughs> and yeah, uh, one of them I <laughs> I know exactly. We'll just which leave it one, at that for now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
yeah, it, it has. This game, I think, has some really amazing audio given the time that this game came out. I absolutely love the sound in this game. It's got really nice explosions and really nice... Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't really ex- explain the sound effects. So we're just going to have to have uh, Hyde uh, drop some samples in right here. So that uh, you all know uh, what we're talking about, because this game does have some amazing audio. You know, it must be something with these early Midway titles, because Tron is similar. Um, was was um, Satan's Hollow a Midway game? Satan's Hollow was Midway? Let me think. Satan's Hollow, Gorf. Um, Gorf, yep. Um, Wizard of War. Um, yeah, there's something about the sound in all those games. It's like, hmm. Yes, a very, very good sound uh, in the in all of these games. And uh, for the most part, I think this is a fairly decent game. But I would rate this game a lot higher if it just was not for the way that the maze is presented. Hmm. Uh, if if that was cleared up more, and I'm not even saying you know fill the screens in just like the very first maze at all. I'm just saying make it a little more obvious the areas that you just can't go through. As I was saying before, there are just some areas where it looks like you can go through, but you just you can't. Just make it a little more obvious, especially in the later mazes. And I know you're supposed to be challenging. Games are supposed to be challenging and and whatnot. And, and I get that, but there's a there's a fine line between challenge and frustration. And the maze is no end of frustration in this game. But um, I believe that's all I have to say about how to play the game and the technical aspects. Uh, what have ye to say? Well, when you're talking about the challenge, something to keep in mind is that, well, I'm assuming you were playing this in MAME on a mm-hmm. modern computer. Yes. Okay. And so was I. And our modern computers have LCD, possibly LED monitors. Mm-hmm. When this game was out, when the Adventures of Robbie Roto was out, they were using CRT monitors, cathode mm-hmm. ray tubes, the old-fashioned kind you see in your old-fashioned TVs, uh-huh. which could be possibly a bigger problem because something I learned from my... I think I mentioned this in the podcast many episodes ago, but something I learned in my TV production class in college, something they told us is that blue and red will bleed on a TV screen. There is mm. a lot of blue in this game. Yes, that blue might contribu- is the predominant color in this game. Yeah, and it must have been hard as hell to play on the old school CRT monitors. And not only that, then this really stuck out to me. The screen that says get ready, it's red text on a blue background. It's like, man, that's got to be a nightmare to look at on a CRT Ooh. screen. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Ooh. It's kind of piercing on a modern monitor. Imagine how it is on something from back in those Fergs, you know. Now, speaking a little bit something, a little bit something, a little related to this. Interesting uh, little bit of trivia here that most horror fans will know. Uh, Do you know why Freddy Krueger's sweater is red and green? I don't know. Why is Freddy Krueger's sweater red and green? Because it's hard for the eyes to process it. It creates a clash with the color, kind of sort of what we're talking about now. It confuses, Uh-oh. not confuses, but it makes the, it, it's harder for the brain to process or something in a way. And 
Oh. And because it, it evokes such a reaction, that is why Freddy Krueger's sweater is red and green, even though that movie is so dark that you barely ever notice that his sweater is red and green. That makes me sad. That makes you sad. Because I thought the answer to that question was going to be a funny punchline. No, nope. Sometimes no. I actually have real trivia with real answers. That's not everything is a joke with me. Just every, oh, just every uh, three out of four are. <laughs> what are you, a dentist? There's a horror movie, The Dentist, starring Corbin Burnson. Don't say mm. I didn't warn you. Anyway, so, um, but yeah, I, I, your point about the uh, the CRT that really does have to be an issue, especially since CRTs do tend to burn in. Oh, yeah. uh, images and they get fuzzy the older they get and uh, just less sharp and you gotta like you know anybody that had a crt tv remembers the vertical hole and horizontal and sharpness and tint and color knobs and you had all of these adjustments not something that you really have to worry about too much with lcds i mean it's still some a lot of those are still an issue but you don't have to worry about like the fuzziness or the focus or whatever for the most part these days but, uh, yeah, back then, I could see that being a huge, huge problem. Mm-hmm. But there are a couple of observations I have about the gameplay. Uh-huh. It seems to me that, that if they're going to have a key that's necessary, they should make it a little bit more challenging. Because at least every time I played it, the key was, like, right there. It's like, okay, what's the point, you know? <laughs> Did you did you notice that too? It, it didn't seem to me always like that. Um, it's I'm thinking that when I played it, that even though the mazes appeared to be the same, that it did put those th- those items in different random locations. I will say that the key do- did seem to be kind of in an easy place, but uh, at least for the first three mazes or so. But uh, I honestly don't mind that as much, just for the reason being, just navigating that maze is a pain in the ass. Yeah, but the thing is, like, why bother with a key? Especially because I don't think you get any points for it. Uh, nothing that I recall. Uh, again, again, that's some data that we need to procure. No, I'm pretty sure you don't get any score for getting the key. But one thing I did notice, though, speaking of scoring, is that uh, when one of the enemies re-kidnaps one of the hostages from you... Mm-hmm. Well, every time you grab a hostage, you get like 100 points or 200 points, depending on the level. Even after the hostage is taken away from you, you go back and get it again. You get another set of points. So you could point press, but that would be that'd be kind of difficult. It would be very difficult. So but I found that pretty interesting. And something else I noticed is that there's just something about the way that when uh, Roto grabs the hostages, it, it just reminded me of Flicky. And I think that's pretty much the only yeah, thing about this well, game that reminded me of Flicky. In, yeah, in Flicky, when you uh, when you pick up one of the birds or whatever, it does trail along behind you, just like in Robbie Roto. So they must have got that from Robbie Roto, or it was like a coincidence, eh? Yeah, but yeah. Given that this came out well before Flicky, several years before Flicky, but um, yeah, yeah. And, and how many years before? Well, it's hard to say because uh, depending on what source you read, uh, Robbie Roto, The Adventures of Robbie Roto. Or Roto to the Rescue, whichever title you want to call it. Some sources say it was released in 1981. Some say it was in 1982. Now, some information I gathered said that uh, the Library of Congress's records say that the game was developed in 1981, released in 1982, late in the year, Mm -hmm. copyrighted in 1983, which I don't think is right. 
Because copyright law no. says that as soon as you create it, it is considered copyrighted. And this does seem like an early game, too. Oh, yeah. So, Big time. So if it was based on the Astrocade hardware, it would have had to have come out around the same time of Gorf's, which was, what, 81, 82-ish? Yeah, probably. Probably. And uh, there's some pretty fascinating history behind the development of this game. Oh? That I just learned, that I never knew about. Bally Midway published the game, of course. Uh, it was designed by David Nutting Associates. Right. It, that, it was very common for Bally to do that. They would outsource uh, the game design. They had quite a few games that were developed by Nutting and Associates. It was Journey, I believe, that was designed by Marvin Glass and Associates. So yeah, they did a lot of outsourcing, and I'm. It looks like Dave Nutting was actually one of the uh, designers or programmers on this himself. I think so, but the chief designer was Jay Fenton. And what's interesting is if you do some research on the adventures of Robbie Roto, you're going to see some sources say Jay, and some sources say Jamie. Mm -hmm. And I found Jamie Fenton's website, and Jamie Fenton is a woman. Mm -hmm. Jamie Fenton was not a woman during the development of Robbie Roto. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. This is the first game that we're covering that was designed by somebody of the transgender, the transgender community, I guess. Yes. So that, that's, that's uh, now actually there was a uh, somebody from Activision who was transgender as well, and I can't remember oh, really? who that was. But yeah, Jamie Fenton had the change done in 1998, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was that uh, Jamie had it done a, a long time previous. Uh, that's all here nor there, but it is an interesting uh, bit of the uh, the history of the yeah. game. And I'll put a link to her website in the show notes too, because uh, she has. Oh, yes. God, she is still she's still like ass busy today. I mean, she's developing. So I don't think she does games anymore, but she's a big time developer now. I mean, I don't know how. Well, by big time, I mean busy, 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 busy. busy. Exactly. <laughs> right. And um, here's an interesting uh, thing with this game. Uh, approximately only 2,000 units were produced of this machine. It was not a hit at all, and uh, yeah. which is uh, which is interesting because, of course, <clears throat> now going into where we've played the game, uh, I actually played this way back in the Ferg. At, really? Uh, yes, actually at the Putt Putt Golf and Games. Wow. In uh, Joliet, Illinois, off of Essington Road, it was I believe uh, for a time it was right next to the Zaxxon machine right when you walked into the place. And I almost wonder, with all of these arcade companies in the Chicago area, if we saw more limited release games than most other uh, areas of the United States because of that. Um, I don't know very many places that had Reactor. Uh, I don't know very many that had Robbie Roto, obviously. But, you know, I had them both at, uh, at uh, the Putt-Putt Golf and Games, and I played them both there for the first time. It, it just kind of makes me wonder, being, as I was saying, that a lot of the companies were here. Obviously, in California, they would have gotten stuff from, say, like uh, Namco or Atari or Sega. Oh, by but, the way, uh, David Nutting Associates is based in California. Oh, are they? Or was. Or, I don't maybe they're still in business. I don't but know. But Valley Midway had all, I believe, had all of their manufacturing uh, facilities out here in the Chicago area, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, in the Avondale neighborhood. There we are. So... I'm assuming the very first time you've ever played this was on MAME? Yep, just in the last uh, couple of weeks, actually. So there's that. Now, as far as I'm aware, I don't believe this was actually ported to anything. I don't believe so. And uh, not I don't know if... Was it even on the Astrocade? You know what? That would be interesting to know. I don't, I, I don't know. 
Let's look that up real quick. Oh, you know what? I have an anonymous source here who might be able to help me. Uh, I, I don't think it ever was um, ported. Here we are, list of games. No, it wasn't even on the Astrocade. It was on nothing. So if you don't have MAME, and if you don't have access to the original machine, you're not going to play the game at all. And it's interesting, just going over the officially released games on the Astrocade, it doesn't look like any of the arcade games that were based on the Astrocade hardware were on the Astrocade. It's fascinating. No Gorf, no Robbie Roto, no... <laughs> um, yeah, so um, Chris++, Plus Plus, if you're listening, uh, correct us on that if you're wrong. It could be yeah, that... Yeah, please do. It could be that because uh, this was an arcade that may have actually had the Astrocade hardware working in a different way. Perhaps maybe they had two cores or several, you know, graphics chips or some way to make it to where it wouldn't be, or more memory to which would make it to be they couldn't do it on the home console. But um, looking here, it looks like there was two arcade games that were actually released on the Astrocade, and that was Galaxian, which was later renamed, and Space Invaders, which was later renamed. So that's interesting. Galaxian was renamed Galactic Invasion, and Space Invaders was renamed Astro Battle, which, if I'm not mistaken, the first screen in Gorf is called Astro Battles. Something like that. I well, we got. We I can't wait to talk about Gorf. And speaking of Gorf, uh, that's another game that uh, Jamie Fenton designed. She also designed a Ms. Gorf that never came out. In fact, I don't think she ever finished it. I think she kind of. Oh, really? Eventually, lost interest in it and doesn't have any interest in finishing it. So, yeah, we'll talk more about that when we talk about Gorf. Yeah, we have. We've reached out to. Uh, we've reached out to her, and hopefully, uh, she will uh, will respond back with uh, some uh, answers to some questions and stuff because it's uh, quite the. Uh, Robbie Rota was quite the interesting game uh, for many, many reasons. And, um, you know, we've, we've talked about the game itself, but uh, behind the scenes, there was some in- it's interesting. And um, oh yeah, because the game was not a success, Jamie got the rights to the game back, and she basically released it into the public domain. And uh, so... Thank you, Jamie. Th- yes, thank you. But um, I think with that, uh, do we know anything about uh, any high scores on this game? Yeah, um, there aren't any listed on Orcade.com, even though Orcade has an entry for it. There are no scores on it. So, hey, uh, we got to find Oh, oh. All right. Underground Retrocade, Galloping Ghost, Pixel Blast. I know all three of you are going to be using Orcade if you don't already use it. Get Robbie Roto and let us know when you get it so we can be the first to play it so we can have a world record on Orcade.com. Yes! Even though it might last for only two minutes. But uh, Twin Galaxies <laughs> has a world record listed. Uh, Col- I don't know how to pronounce this uh, person's name. Colin, or possibly Colin, um, you know, as you know, like uh, King Henry VIII told us, you know, a lot of, you know, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, Colin, Colin, Haginay, 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 I don't know. I'm sorry, Colin, or Colin, maybe. Uh, this was verified January 5th, 1983. He had a score of 518,250. Wow. So, that's, that that's seems like, impressive for this. This is a hard it's, game. It's impressive for this game because this game does get fairly hard because oh, yeah. n- not just because of the maze, because also the enemies uh, are, get really uh, aggressive later on. They're always aggressive, but even more so later on in the game. It's as I said, this is not an easy game. Yeah, so, I was I got seventy four thousand one hundred and forty seven, and I might have barely made it to the fourth maze. Okay, now I've made it to the fourth maze, and I only got twenty five thousand three hundred. Um, how many times did you rescue all three hostages at once and grab that's all just, of the? Tr- 
the treasures. Did we talk about the treasures? I don't think we did. Yeah, yeah no, there's like several f- treasures that uh, get released in the maze, and you get bonus points for those. Yeah, and every level you complete, you get bonus points based on how many treasures you grab, based on the largest number of hostages you take at once. There's a lot and, of bonusing in this game. Yeah, yeah, and the that's bonusing my is word. what. Oh yeah, the bonusing, bonusing is what's really going to get you to score. But yeah, my I think my final thought on the Adventures of Robbie Rota, this would have been a fun game on a console. It really would have been. Well, it 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 looks it does look and play like a console game, and then it's based on the Astrocade hardware. Sure. I mean, it, it totally makes sense. Oh, by the way, my high score on this was 25,300. I don't know if I said <laughs> that. So um, I laugh. It's definitely got the feel of a console game. As I said before, I just love the audio in this game. This game has some of the best audio from that time period. But any Good of the audio, arcade yeah. games that are based on this platform, with the possible exception of one, <laughs> have amazing audio. And I think the, the visuals are fine for this game. This hardware makes some really cool explosions when it comes to the, the video. But as I said before, the major sticking point with this game for me, I mean, it's a hard game, but if the maze wasn't such a pain in the ass to get around, this would be a much better game. If it wasn't for the maze, I would rate this a four, but the way it is, I can only rate it a three. I'm totally with you on that. I so badly want to rate this four continues, but but yeah, I mean, just because of the annoying difficulty of it and i agree with you on the maze it's really hard to get around in some of those later mazes well by later i mean after the first one especially yeah, but, yeah no kidding um, i agree with that i really really want to give the adventures of robbie roto exclamation point a four but i have to give it a three continues and, and by the way um am i the only person in the world who ever notices exclamation points in video game titles because there's this one there's mr do there's pac-man collection a homebrew on the uh, atari 7800 i'm the only one who ever notices the exclamation point like people the creators put that there give them you know some recognition use what they give you the adventures of robbie Roto, mr do so, you know, kind of like that? Is that what you're talking about? Something like that, yes. So, with that, uh, what do you think we uh, move on to the next game? I think we move on to the next game. All right, awesome. Now, give me one second here to turn a light on so I can read my notes. See, I use a computer, so I don't need a light on. There we go. And if the light doesn't light, then I'm not using a computer, and we don't have an episode. Yay! Yay! Yes, the game we're talking about now is Grat. I'm Targ. I've been looking at games backwards. Yes, Targ. Ah, Targ. This is actually a a pretty simple game. I don't know how much we really have to say about this one. Well, define simple. But define simple. Well, you've got a car in a maze, and you're shooting other cars in the maze. Now, the maze is a 9x9 grid. It doesn't change from screen to screen. Uh, There are two different kinds of enemies in this. You have the Targ, which is a red car. There's 10 of those per level. And then you have the Spectar Smuggler, which is a blue car. Targ is short for target, and Spectar is short for special target. You see what they did there? Oh, I see what they did there. Uh, <laughs> yes. And the uh, the vehicle you pilot is called a Wummel. Wummel. Ooh. Number one, the Wummel. The Wummel. Yeah, well, that should be a new bit that we do. How to recognize different video game characters from quite a long ways away. Number one, the The Wummel. Wummel. The Wummel. So yes, the 9x9 grid is called the Crystal City. I wish it would have been Louisville, Kentucky, so you could say, there's a Wummel in Louisville. 
And it's it's really quite simple. I mean, you just, you know, you the joystick, you, you navigate around the maze. Uh, you're always constantly going. It's, you're always constantly moving. And so you, if you push to the left or right, you will turn, but you keep going in that direction until you push the joystick again. You start with three lives. And this does have an interesting control scheme in this. And that is, if you want to slow down, you push the opposite direction that you're moving on the joystick. So if you're moving to the left, you push just slightly to the right. Now, you can turn your car around completely by pushing the opposite direction of which you're going, but you have to slow all the way down to a stop first, and then you speed back up the other direction. That is not a move to do, ever, in this game. You will die. I really don't know a lot what to say about this game. It does have my least favorite video game. Uh, oh, I know where I'm this is going. For? Yes, my least favorite video game conundrum, I guess. Oh, yeah. This and is what I wanted to mention earlier. Yes, where it shows the number of lives that you have left at the top of the screen also includes the life you are currently playing. So mm-hmm. if you have your last life on the screen and you see one up in reserve, you're on your last life. The one that it shows in reserve doesn't exist. It's the one that you're playing, and I hate that. And every game that I have come across that I recall that with, I automatically knock down one continue. So uh, this game is automatically down one continue from where I'm going to rate it. Um, Only four continues. Oh, man. Yes. Uh, One thing I do need to mention, too, is that the, uh, the ten targs, the red cars, are automatically on the screen at the beginning. The spec targ comes out every now and then. You can tell where it's going to come out because the block it emerges from will kind of like blink, you know, black and blue or whatever the maze color is there. So uh, if you see that, you might want to stay away from there for a moment. To advance to the next screen, you do have to destroy all of the targs, but you do not have to destroy the spec targ. Yeah, that's, uh, that's more of a bonus thing, and you get some pretty good bonus points for that, I think. I think you get, like, 500 bonus points for destroying the Spectar. Well, it's it's different. I think it's random. Sometimes you only get 100. So And, yeah, just last night when I was playing, I've been playing this uh, on and off for the past week or two, and just last night was the first time I got the 500. I was like, ooh, cool. And I do believe, I mean, there's really not much more to say to this game. I mean, it doesn't, it's not really amazing in the graphics department. It's not amazing in the audio department. I know I have seen this game before, but I'm going to lump this in with Rally X and call it uh, another laundromat game. I can see that. Which I have seen this in laundromats. Uh, I actually have, I believe, also seen it in the, uh, not the shower house, but the main uh, facility at uh, Wico Beach in Bridgman, Michigan, which that's a public beach in the town of Bridgman. It's run by the city. They have a, when I, we used to go there every now and then when I was a kid. And um, they have a really nice campground there. It's nestled between the forested sand dunes. And it's just it's just really nice. And they have trails all amongst the sand dunes and the beach. The beach is on the eastern shore of Lake Michigan, you know, totally opposite the city of Chicago, are some of the most beautiful beaches you'll see anywhere. Seriously, if you get a chance to uh, get to the Chicago area, take the, uh, the two-hour drive to southwestern Michigan and visit oh, some yeah. of the beaches there. Uh, Warren Dunes State Park, Wico Beach, and they're, they're just all the way up the west coast of Michigan, all the way up including uh, Sleeping Bear Dunes National Lakeshore up by Traverse City. The beaches are amazing. My wife and I have a uh, we go to we do a weekend getaway up in uh, New Buffalo once or twice a year. Really nice, and I know uh, yeah. Fred Oaks lives in that area too. There you are, 
And uh, seriously, um, but uh, that is um, what <laughs> you, you, I've never seen this game in an arcade. It's always been like a one-off game. As I said, laundromat game. There's nothing amazing or spectacular about it. In fact, I put in my notes here as I was playing it, this looks like a game that was programmed for the uh, TI-99 4A. I can totally see that. Home computer. It looks exactly like one, which isn't an insult or anything. It just it just looks like that. Well, do we know what and, kind of uh, hardware this thing was on? Uh, you know, I did not look that up because I did not deem it necessary, but uh, we could find out real quick here, can't we? And what's interesting is uh, Targ was made in 1980 by Exidy, and they licensed it out to other companies. Like, I think they licensed it out to... Um, Se- Centuri, I know. Yeah, and uh, Sega. This was based on the mo- the uh, 6502 processor. Oh, really? Yes. That's what the uh, Commodore 64 uses. I want to think that the TI was a Z80. I think you're right about that. I think you are right. It looks like an early microcomputer game that's in the arcade. Actually... I don't think TI... No, TI used a, a TMS-9900, which was a 16-bit processor. Oh, that's right. It did, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. It was a 16-bit computer. I totally forgot that's about craziness. that. craziness. I did not know that. But given the video, I mean, this does look exactly like a game that would have come off that computer. It, yeah, it exactly really does. Like you put it up next to Munchman or Hunt the Wumpus, it's pretty similar the sprites are all are all one color there are no multicolor sprites in this at all you can tell it's an early game uh it is a copyright 1980 so i mean we'll cut it some slack in that regard but as i said i never played it in an arcade it's always been like in a one-off location i've never usually a laundromat usually a you know a a shower house at a a beach and off of lake michigan there's not really a whole lot more to say about this game i mean it's it's really one of the most simple games I think we've ever covered. Yeah, it really is. and Simple as far as the elements go, not as the difficulty. What's crazy, though, is that the scoring is kind of weird, too. I can't really explain it because it would just take forever. You need a separate podcast just to explain uh, how the scoring works in, on this game, really. We were saying that Robbie Roto can be a high-scoring game. This is different. This is not a high-scoring game in the slightest. Oh, you know what? Um, oh, actually, I take it back. Here's how the scoring works. Every time you shoot a Targ, you get 10 points. Uh, the second level, you get 20 points. Third level, 30, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You get a bonus of 1,000 points if you clear all the Targs on a level. And then the next level, you get 2,000 if you do that, 3,000 and all that stuff. Okay. Um, of course. So the it, further you go in the game, the uh, yeah. the better your chance of racking up higher scores. Yeah. What's you, did, did you record your highest score? Yes, I did, actually. Which was? 4,810. Ah, you bastard. I got 4,030. Ooh, I beat you. I may have destroyed one more of the uh, Spectars than you did. Possibly. Did you notice how high you have to score to get on the high score table? No, I didn't. 10, I believe 10,000. Yep. Yeah, that's. this is not an easy game because no. though the, the Targs can really take a corner fast, and there's no telling when they're going to turn a corner. And one strategy I've used to varying degrees of success, in other words, no success whatsoever, is to just go around the outside of the maze. And if you see a targ coming your direction, uh, your instinct is to... Well, I mean, it really depends, because sometimes you're you're hoping that the targ will turn before it reaches the outside of the maze. And if you don't, of course, it's going to crash into you. Then if you see that it's definitely going to, and you try to reverse, 
then you're going to get hit because you have to slow all the way down first. And the the whole slowdown thing really is a kind of a bummer. But uh, we, I mean, it's easy enough to create your strategies for this game without you know reversing direction. And I would highly recommend not reversing direction at all. Now. It isn't a bad strategy to slow down sometimes. Right. And that's tricky to do, too. Yeah, you just you just got to tap the joystick the opposite direction you're going, but it's more so getting it to the speed you want uh, you, you want it to be. But uh, you can also do, you know, zip some some uh, quick 90-degree turns around some of the corners, too, to go to the opposite, go the opposite direction you want to go or that you're currently going. So, I mean, there's room for strategy in this game. Oh, sure, sure. But, yeah, the... Uh, it's it's this again is not an easy game. Uh, no. This is this one's it looks simple, but it's it's pretty hard. This is a very challenging game. It, it really is, especially because the artificial intelligence is really good in this game. Yeah, it would be nice if it get if the if the the sprites were multicolored and actually gave you some indication of the direction they're going to turn. They don't. But um, one thing I noticed playing this game now. Again, this wasn't ported to any home system, at least that I know of. Aha! Uh, it was announced by Coleco, if I'm not mistaken, but I don't believe it was ever released on a home console uh, way back when. Correct me if I am wrong, and I'm sure you will. Am I wrong? Well, you, technically, you're not all that wrong. Okay. There is a CBS Electronics prototype for the 2600. In fact, you can get the ROM for it and the, on uh, Atari Age. I did not oh. get a chance to try it, though, so I don't know. It looks, That's right. I have played that. It looks pretty good in terms of... Uh, actually, I think it, even, it looks even better than the arcade game, judging from the screenshots, but I haven't actually played it yet. I have totally forgot about that. I have played that, and it's interesting you mentioned that because when I was playing this, the first game that cropped into my mind when I was playing this tonight, and I've played this a lot over the years. Let me ask. Yeah. Was it Slot Racers? It was Slot Racers. Yep. yep. This is exactly, this plays exactly like Slot Racers yeah. on the Atari 2600. The difference is Slot Racers has a more complex maze. Yeah. This is basically the Atari 2600 Slot Racers, but with a lot more enemies and it's a one player game. Well, I'm sure, is there, I'm sure you could play two players too, but not at the same time, I don't think. No. Slot Racers on the 2600, it's a two-player game. Right. So, yes, this is definitely Slot Racers with a more complex maze. And it's interesting to note that because there was a sequel to this game. It was called Spectar, and uh, based on Special Target, I guess. And I don't know all of the differences because I wasn't really looking that up because we're talking about Targ, not Spectar. But I do know that it's not a strict 9x9 grid in uh, Spectar. Uh, they've... Uh, Shaken things up a little bit with the maze, which this game needs, I think. Now, moving on. Now, we talked about our scores. You had 4,030. Yeah. I had 4,810. What about world records? All right. Once again, Orcade.com has no records of any scores. There is an entry for it. So once again, Pixel Blast, Galloping Ghost, Underground Retrocade. You guys get this game. Let us know in advance so we can have a Orcade.com world record for a short time. Indeed. Yeah. But uh, there is a Twin Galaxies world record. Paul Boisclair, maybe Boisclair for all I know, but it, it's French. Boisclair. So it looks French, uh, which means clear wood, by the way. <laughs> or wood clear. I don't know. But uh, Fang boner. This score was verified say on uh, March 17th, 1984. Mm-hmm. 89,480. I could see that. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I'll bet that's achievable. The problem is... Yeah, where that's you a reasonable find... score for this game. Yeah. 
Where are you going to find a Targ to try that on other than in MAME? Now, I'd mentioned where I'd had played this. I mean, I played this at Wico Beach and at laundromats across the country. And it, it seems to me my earliest memory of this particular game, uh, and I don't know why I'm bringing this up right at this point, but it seems to me like the ball on the joystick uh, was totally missing, and it was just had like the little top that had like the screw that you would screw the ball onto. Um, so, fang boner. So, uh, that's a weird memory. It's a, it's it's amazing. It's the weird crap you remember. Oh yeah. And I don't know why I remember playing this uh, without a full joystick. Fang boner. So. Yeah, on the uh, killer the arcade museum website, the uh, cabinet they have in the picture does have a joystick with a ball on top of it yes <laughs> one thing i have to say i mean because it, it says the nine by nine grid is the crystal city i mean come on it don't look like no crystal city i mean it i mean, like understand using your imagination it looks like hollywood squares gone wrong i guess i don't know yeah hollywood squares with 81 drunk celebrities 81 drunk b and c list celebrities with nobody in the center square because there isn't a oh yeah actually there is a center square Never they mind. cloned they cloned paul lind nine times Oh, man. Nine Paul Lins. Okay, how many Charles Nelson Rileys? That sounds like the start of a joke. How many Charles Nelson Rileys would it take to fit in a such and such? <laughs> or some, I don't we know. should have a contest. Give us a punchline. Finish the joke. Finish the, the setup and the joke. How many Charles Nelson Rileys would it blank to blank? You know what? I would like to make that an official contest now. <laughs> I would. <laughs> You know what? I th- and I think we've got prizes we could give to Yes, it. we do. We have the double XL t-shirt. and uh, I have. I still have the uh, Seagull, the extra Seagull 78 adapter here. Nobody won it at the Midwest Gaming Classic. So, yeah, okay, yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to give away stuff. Finish the punchline to that joke. Finish the joke and the punchline. How many Charles Nelson Rileys would it take to blank? Yes, there we go. And then finish the punchline. Just send us your entries, and me and Sean will decide which one we think is the funniest. Yeah, you can email us at piefactory at fab4it.com or piefactorypodcast at fab4it.com or piefactorypodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us at uh, piefactorypfp. You can uh, fill out the contact form on uh, piefactorypodcast.com. Uh, you can reach us on Atari Age. You can reach me at Twin Galaxies. I use Dauber there as well. As long as it gets to us, that's all we care. As long as it gets to us, yeah. just make sure that when you're uh, emailing us, put the words Charles Nelson Riley in the subject Matt, in the subject line. Now, we are recording episode 34 right now. Which episode should we announce the winner? Let's go, 30, let's go 37. Okay, 37. So episode 37. So you got uh, two more episodes before we uh, before we announce the winner. So how many Charles Nelson Rileys does it take to blank and then the number with the explanation? Finish the setup and give us a punchline. Isn't it great how the contest is directly related to not only video games, but also the games we are discussing in this episode? It's totally amazing. Just totally amazing. I know. We are just that good. That's right. You know? And we just came up with it. We came up with it on the fly, you know, Woo-hoo. as I slap the back of my hand with the my other hand. Oh, and you know so, what? That's what. You know what? Chicken butt. You know what? What? Fang boner. Fang boner. <laughs> oh, boy. If you follow Sean on Facebook, you'll know what fang boner is. Or if you've ever uh, taken the Ohio Turnpike all the way. <laughs> you get a real nasty fang boner. Yeah. Um, so I think with that... There's really not much more to be said about this game. Yeah, um, we, we better like, so, shut up now. Yeah, we better <laughs> we better rate this game because we've yeah. already got a bizarre contest under our belt just in talking about this one. So 
originally, I was going to rate this a three. Uh, oh, I, man. This is going to get super low now. I kind of like this game, and I play it from time to time. Uh, but it's hard, and I mean, it's, it's got something to it, but it's not something that I keep going back to. But I don't hate the game. But that one issue where it shows your last life in your reserve lives display knocks it down a continue for me. So I've got to rate this one a two. Man, that doesn't bother me so much because the way I see it, it's a different style of representing how many lives you have left. So it doesn't really bother me. It's like once I I know what it is, I get used to it pretty quickly. Unfortunately, sometimes I forget. I absolutely see myself going back to this game from time to time. And if I ever see Targ in an arcade or or anywhere, really, I will play it. If I see the real machine, I I do want to play it sometime. It's definitely not a bad game. No, I mean, especially the Centauri cocktail version. It has one of those weird cocktail tables in which you're sitting along the length of the table instead of the width, which is the usual thing. That's true, because the monitor is... um uh, horizontal rather you know than what? vertical, as I most think arcade Underground games. Underground Retrocade has a uh, cocktail table that's in that orientation. I think it's a. Uh, I, I know Scott's not a big fan of cocktail tables. Mm-hmm. I think he uses it more as like a decoration or furniture or something. I mean, but I don't know. But yeah, I that, that's just a weird layout. But anyway. But anywho, so what is your rating? Three. Three continues. You're giving it a three. I'm giving it a three. I think this is a game that you could easily get good at. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'd probably give it a four, but, you know, the graphics aren't all that great. Yeah. I know as it was only said, it 19... Like, as I said, it looks like a TI-99 4A game. Yeah. It looks exactly like one. And I know this is only nineteen eight from 1980, but the thing is, number one, you're using a 6502. That's what the Commodore 64 had, and they are some pretty awesome-looking games on the Commodore 64. And I believe 64. the Atari 2600 used a modified 6502, or was that, just, was that yeah. a 6504? It was a six. It's something that starts 65-60-5-0-something. It's in the, a 6507 the, the processor's in the same family. Yeah, yeah. And they could have done more with the graphics. If the graphics were a little bit better, I might consider going a little bit higher with my rating. But uh, And also, something I, I'm just thinking about right now is there's that blue color again and there is Mm -hmm. some red on blue so i'm sure that made things a little bit difficult on a cathode ray tube monitor Mm -hmm. yep because blue and red that's definitely not a (laughs) not a uh optimal for your vision as it were all right something from the uh private life of nobody that's my name tonight, I think. Is that what I said? Uh, you were... I was like, yeah, I'm nobody. I couldn't think Bob of anything. Bob somebody. Oh, yeah, that's right. So it's something from the private life of Bob Lamb, um, yes. a.k.a. Sean by some people. Uh, when I was in high school, I think I was... Yeah, I was a senior. When I was a senior in high school, I took a basic programming class, and the teacher was a 77-year-old nun with cataracts. <laughs> and... She told us, don't use blue on your programs. You know, so just to piss her off, we, we changed the code. Because this was, didn't even have Windows. This was running on DOS. So we'd set the, the text color to blue just to piss her off. And She would smack you on the knuckles with a ruler if you typed 10, go to 10. No, she had onion breath that you could smell a mile away. That was oh, the, the physical punishment <laughs> right there. This is a 70-some-year-old nun teaching program. I know. That's just awesome. I know. Oh, and gosh, that is the most... I, no, what I did was... Uh, that's a situation comedy waiting to happen. I remember oh, what, I, what I did once just to be a jerk, and she knew I was only doing it to be a jerk, too. But uh, uh, when she would... Sometimes she'd like walk around just to see what our code looked like. I actually set my text color to flash. Blue, <laughs> just to piss her off. 
Okay, well, you know, we got to get in touch with the people that do the show Big Bang Theory and tell them about the 70-some-year-old nun that teaches programming. Yeah. That would be the show that would do that. And I think with that, we should probably announce the theme of today's show. Oh, yes. And uh, I think I mentioned to you uh, offline that I, I, I'd like to suggest a sub-theme, but please yes, please tell us the, the main theme. The main theme is Robbie Roto and Targ are both games that were released into the public domain, so to speak, for non-commercial use, and therefore you can legally play these for free on your computer at home through MAME. Yes, these are games you can legally play at home for free. Without having to own the actual arcade game. Exactly. I mean, it's perfectly legal to play stuff in MAME, provided that the games you're playing in MAME, you own the actual arcade machine. But with these Mm -hmm. games, you don't need to. Indeed. And in fact, if you go to the MAME website, which is MAME.com, I believe. It's MAMEDEV.org, I think. I think it's. I think you're right. I think it's MameDev.org. Let's find out here. It looks like it might be. Oh yes, yes it go is. Go to the yes. MameDev.org website. Oh wow, Spectar is available for free too. Which is the sequel. Exactly. And uh, I can't find the. Oh, there's at the top. Duh. At the top of the screen at MameDev.org, there is a selection for downloads and one for ROMs. And all of the ROMs on this page are available to play for free. You have Circus, Robot Bowl, Car Polo, Sidetrack, Ripcord, Fire oh, One, Crash, circus. Starfire, Targ, Spectar, Hard Hat, Victory, Teeter Torture, which that sounds interesting. I'll have to check that out. Fax, which is just a trivia game. Top Gunner, Robbie Roto, Super Tank, Looping. Looping's a fun game. Gridley and Alien Arena. Oh, fun fact about Gridley, by the way. Yes. I don't know if this is still the case, but the iPhone version of Gridley, the iOS version of Gridley, there was a uh, little secret that uh, that got past the uh, the Apple developer sensors. You could actually like use a hacking utility to upload Mame ROMs, and you could play them through Gridly. Yes, in fact, I think they've talked about that on No Quarter. Oh, really? In the past? Huh. Yes, I that believe so. That might have been how I found out, actually. So there we are, and with that, let us announce the games we're going to be talking about on oh, our next episode. Oh, let me. Uh, oh. I'd like to. Uh, oh, su- yes, your secondary theme. Actually, there are a lot of secondary themes here. Well. First, I'll start with a tertiary theme, actually, because I just came up with... Uh, actually, a quart... What's the next level down from tertiary? Quatortiary? I don't know. Contortionist? But the contortionist theme is that neither of these games has a world record on Orcade.com. Okay. The tertiary theme is that there's a lot of blue, perhaps to a fault, in these games. Okay. The secondary theme that I'd like to suggest is that both of these games, according to Orcade.com are only available to play at the Pennsylvania Coin-Operated Hall of Fame in Hopewell Township, Pennsylvania. Well, I guess we'll have to get over there. I know. People have been telling us to get over there. I w- it would be nice to take a road trip to get out of the Chicago area to uh, to play some uh, to play at some arcades that we don't have around here. Cause hey, did that for Yestercades a couple of times, but then again, it wasn't to go to Yestercades. That was a secondary True. side thing, but you know. But I, th- I think let's... Uh, Let's talk about uh, what we're going to talk about the next episode. Oh, do tell. We've decided, uh, we've put it off long enough that we are going to talk about Defender and Robotron. Oh, hold on, hold on. This week in Robotron. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. We're going to talk about Defender and Robotron. Defender and Robotron. Uh, 2084? Why, yes, of course. Oh, okay. But everyone just calls it Robotron because... 
Yeah, we're busy people. That's you know, right. We got yeah. lives. We can't. Yeah, we yeah, can't in today's economy, you don't have time to say twenty eighty four every time you talk about Robotron. Yes, because we can't afford several extra, you know, syllables. Yeah, because, yeah. You know, that's just the way we are. So, so that is going to be what we are talking about next time. So, once again, from Morris, Illinois, this is Jimbo, and this is Bob Lamb of Chicago. Well, actually, this. Well, some people don't think I'm Bob Lamb. They think I'm just some. Bob. Guy named Sean, Sean is on the Bob Lamb. Yeah. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so, alrighty then. We'll, we 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 will talk at you in a couple of weeks, and we'll go from there. Yeah, scattered frog, play us out. What does that mean? Play us out. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde Saint Pierre. Opening and closing theme is the Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arada was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on piefactorypodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash piefactorypodcast. Fang owner. Now, interestingly, when you save the hostages... Hold on. One second. <coughs> we don't have a theme for sneezes, do we? <coughs> Apparently, you can get cotton candy on a stick in Illinois now without being in a plastic bag. But only for the fireman's garden. I didn't know you couldn't. I guess they passed a law years and years back stating that it has to be in a plastic bag because, God forbid, you get dirt in it. I was never a fan of cotton candy anyway. I love cotton candy. Uh, Oh, God. Sam's Club or Walmart, they have ice cream sandwiches. You know, with uh, but they have cotton. They have ones that are vanilla cookies with uh, with uh, cotton candy flavored ice cream between them. It was so good. I could eat a whole box of those in one sitting. Hold on. Which actually, by the way, Teeth is a very very interesting uh, horror film. It's uh, about a girl who reaches pure puberty and discovers that she has teeth in a very very bizarre place. Newark. Newark, exactly. It's actually a very, very good horror film, by the way. Um, but it's weird. So, anyway. You know, I want to be there in my city. Oh, whoa. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh. Ah, what a journey this show has taken. Oh! So. A journey to infinity and beyond. Ooh, must escape that one. Oh! Uh, and such are the world's journey's greatest hits. Mm. What? Nothing? Judges? Eh, no, but thanks for playing.